Hello, and welcome to Theory Lab, where American Cancer Society grantees from across the cancer research spectrum talk about their work. In this episode, my colleague Ellie Daniels talked to a couple of grantees in her portfolio. One, Jan Eberth. She's at the University of South Carolina, and her team's using geospatial, statistical, and qualitative approaches to understand the distribution and causes of cancer disparities. Her larger goal is really identifying policy level and systems level solutions to help, you know, to improve health equity. Her ACS grants on access and utilization of colonoscopy, uh, with, I think largely in the rural populations in North Carolina and South Carolina. Uh, other person we spoke with was Dr. Jesse Nadora. He's an associate professor at UC San Diego. His ACS grants on colorectal cancer screening strategies for community health centers. So, you know, his focus is on primary cancer prevention in poor and underserved populations. Um, they had a really interesting conversation. Ellie got them talking about about some of the challenges and opportunities around their work. And uh, let's get to the conversation. So we're really excited to talk to you guys today because today we launched our new campaign, uh, 80% in every community. And we know that to get there, it's from the research angle at least, it's going to take uh, scientists from various disciplines. So what I wanted to ask you guys uh, first is, how would you describe your research to a scientist in another field or a practicing clinician? Well, this is Jan. I'll go first. And I think to um, a basic scientist, you know, I would liken my work to understanding the role of certain biological processes or biomarkers and basic scientists look at that in terms of how those processes or biomarkers impact a particular measurable outcome, often in like an animal model. And for an applied researcher and a health services researcher like myself, instead of studying a biological process, I study how processes and facets of the healthcare system and specific health policies impact outcomes for patients who are at risk for or diagnosed with cancer. So my research uses um, large databases, and health service researchers typically do use large medical records or administrative claims databases, and they range in size from thousands to millions of patients. Um, and in my research, I use a database of all colonoscopies that were completed in our state over a 15-year period. And we link that information with our state cancer registry to help us learn more about the physician workforce that performs colonoscopy and how that's changing over time, and also whether the geographic access that patients have to care is impacting their clinical outcomes. Okay. All right. Dr. Nadora? Sure. Uh, I'm a doctor of, of public health, and so much of what I do really focuses on prevention and working in a community setting. In my case, I, I work with uh, screening and early detection for cancer in poor and underserved populations. The primary place that folks get screened, poor folks get screened, are in what are called federally qualified health centers or community health centers. Um, the work that I do really focuses at what I would label multi-level health promotion uh, and specifically focused on increasing cancer screening. Uh, the American Cancer Society project that I'm, that I'm uh, working on right now is focused on increasing colorectal cancer screening. 
Um, the lowest rates are in these types of community health center clinics for a variety of reasons. But the multi-level part really is about addressing individual or patient level, uh, provider team and leadership or clinic administration level barriers and needs. And there are um, one of the disciplines uh, that I'm using is called uh, dissemination implementation science. And that's all about how do you take evidence and study it uh, in terms of how it works in a given setting. In my case, taking uh, the Community Preventive Services Task Force recommendations, the uh, American Cancer Society uh, strategies in the STEPS Guide for Colorectal Cancer Screening. How do you uh, take those and uh, look at um, how in a setting like a community health center setting, um, um, how do those evidence-based interventions function and what are the touch points that can then be reproduced when you go to scale on the dissemination side of things? So um, the next question relates to what do you think are the most important unanswered research questions in the area of colorectal cancer? I know you are tackling colorectal cancer from, you know, different but related aspects of the system. Um, but what do you think might be some? Sure. Um, Jan, if it's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take this one first. Yeah, sure, definitely. Um, so going back to this multi-level approach of things, at the individual level, I think one of the more important things is really ans answering the question of what leads to sustained health promotion or prevention, that, that orientation. What leads to a healthy lifestyle throughout the life course? Um, it, you know, it, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing. In, in public health, I think we've failed largely at the individual level, whether it's uh, maintaining healthy, healthy diets, uh, maintaining uh, ongoing physical activity movement, um, and, and keeping folks away from uh, substance abuse, for example on a lifelong uh, or, or life course uh, scenario. Um, the maintenance part of it is a challenge. Another, another big question um, really is how can uh, evidence-based programs or interventions be implemented, evaluated, and sustained uh, or eliminated if needed? You know, what are the best ways to do that and going to scale with, with what we know in research works? How do you apply them in, in, in practice? Um, and then the last thing I'll say, um, in, particularly in colorectal, is how can law and policy makers work in partnership with researchers and other public servants to make the most equitable and impactful decisions? Uh, often in our society, uh, many of the high-level decisions that are made are not made for the public's good or public health. They're made for profit uh, or they're made for the bottom line, uh, shareholders and so on and so forth. And uh, that, that is reflected in lobbying and, and those kinds of activities that occur um, directed towards our policymakers. And Dr. Eber, what do you have to add? Well, I think in my field, one of the most um, important unanswered questions is how we can improve colorectal cancer screening uptake and reduce the disparities that we see in vulnerable populations. And in my case, I often focus on rural populations. So 
The science shows that rural populations are more likely to get colorectal cancer, be diagnosed late stage, and die earlier from their cancer than their urban counterparts. And that's true for colorectal cancer, but it's actually true for other cancer types as well. There's been more and more research in recent years that describes those trends, and it shows that the gap between urban and rural populations only continues to widen. So people like myself are trying to understand whether those gaps, which are increasing, are due to factors like income inequality, insurance coverage access, or sort of geographic access to high quality screening and treatment centers. And I think another related and important question is whether we have enough of these um, screening and treatment centers to provide the care that we need for people in those rural areas. There have been studies that look at national and state level capacity, but there's a lot less research that has looked at local level capacity. And it's important to know where we're losing access over time to important treatment services and screening services so that we can think about what solutions are to halt those trends. Um, and those might include things like use of telehealth, use of mid-level providers, offering mobile clinics, and changing staffing patterns and credentialing um, requirements. So I think that there's a lot of um, creative solutions that need to be examined. But before we can even get there, we have to have the data available to answer these important questions to look at whether capacity is indeed decreasing over time. Mm -hmm. Now, since you've submitted your uh, grants and gotten funding, reflecting um, on what you know now versus when you originally submitted the proposal, is there anything that you would change, uh, particularly in collaborations or expertise on your funded research? Well, actually, I just faced this recently, so it's an interesting question you bring up. For one of my study aims, I needed an investigator that had expertise in simulate, simulation modeling to help me estimate how many people in each local area, and in my context, we were looking at counties, would need a colonoscopy every year, which is very important for us to determine the local level capacity. We need to know how many people need colonoscopies and then how many providers we have to do those colonoscopies. So that simulation modeling expertise and having someone with not just the mathematical um, expertise but knowledge of screening guidelines and how to create population projections, understanding the natural history of colorectal cancer and adenoma development, all of those were really important. So I contacted you, Ellie, and I mentioned that I had some burgeoning relationships with folks at the, C the NCI-funded CISNET group, and I was able to add them to my team to help us with this um, simulation side of my equations to figure out the number of people that would need screening in every community. And now that we have that partnership moving, we're actually developing some new partnerships with um, the CISNET group and their web development team to turn that information into a tool that could be used to highlight how and where we can meet the 80% in every community goal and where we're going to need additional support based on this um, dynamic between the supply of providers to do those procedures and the demand for them in every community. That sounds like that's worked out really well. And Dr. Nadora, what would you consider a valuable collaboration or area of expertise that you would 
add if you had a magic wand? Yeah, I just, you know, my grant's only a, a year in, and so I feel pretty fortunate in that uh, I had the, the team members that that I need. You know, I have the, the I'm doing, uh, like I said, an implementation side study um, with fairly qualified health centers, and I have the gastroenterologist. I have a gastroenterologist on my team that has done community level work. I have a, a, a fairly senior implementation scientist. I have a medical anthropologist and a biostatistician. So I, I don't feel like I'm that I'm lacking uh, any particular type of expertise. I will say that what I'm finding is that I'm definitely doing the, or putting a lot more work into creating the measurement tools um, that that I'm needing to capture this wide um, breadth of quantitative and qualitative information, particularly in my first aims, which really relate to capturing the context of, of what's happening around colorectal cancer screening within these facilities. So um, the, you know, the measurement side of it and, and the production or the, the the adaptation of, of measures, I think, is, is definitely something that's taking a lot of time. So. so we've heard about system level issues. We've heard about setting in providers. Um, so my next question is, how would you convey the importance of your research to a cancer colorectal cancer patient? So I, I oh, oh, go ahead, Jen. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say, I think that, um, you know, my research is, is important because it's helping to ensure or think about how we can highlight the fact that all cancer patients need to have access to high-quality screening and treatment. And I think right now, you know, where you live, how much money you make, what type of insurance you have, it does dictate, unfortunately, where people get care and the type of care they get. And um, to me, that's unacceptable. So my research, you know, when I'm talking to other, other advocates or patients, I always describe it in terms of inequities. And that my research aims to find out where those inequities exist and find out why they exist so that policymakers, clinicians, public health practitioners can develop the types of programs and policies that are needed to address those issues, you know, directly. And patients can resonate with that because they can envision that they don't want to have their outcomes be so tied to how much money they make or where they live either. So they understand the fact that researching these inequities is really important and addressing them is, is even more important. Dr. Nadora? So, you know, the goal of, of what I'm trying to do is really um, add us at, a, at all levels, patient, provider, and system level. But at the end of the day, it's all about um, for poor and underserved patients in community health centers, how do you increase those, those uh, colorectal cancer screening rates, particularly the fecal immunochemical test? So it, it is, I agree with Jan, I mean, it, it, it's about access. And, and specifically, the work that I'm doing is important because it's about prevention and early detection. It's about access to the screening and, and how to get folks uh, to complete uh, these tests and how to get the system to support that. Ultimately, this translates into uh, de decreased pain and suffering, decreased cost in the long run uh, on the prevention side, much lower than the treatment, the treatment side, obviously, and increasing quality of life. Uh, if 
the screenable cancers, particularly colorectal, are identified early, uh, preferably in the polyp stage. They can re be removed altogether, or if they're identified early in the first, in the, in the basically before they begin to spread in the body, um, the treatment outcomes are just so much better. You know, a 90, 90 plus percent chance of um, of uh, living a, a long, a long productive life versus a much, much lower 30, 40 percent chance. So, um, Dr. Nador, you're right at the front lines of where care is being, the prevention is being offered. And Dr. Eberth is, has a lot of exciting geospatial work going on, looking at community characteristics, system level issues. How do you think your work can inform, how do you think you can inform each other's work? Well, um, we actually have a, uh, a geospatial expert, a colleague here at San Diego State, Ming Zhu, Dr. Ming Zhu. And we have a working group. It's called the Graffers Group. It has epidemiologists. It has uh, geospatial experts, including a woman named Scarlett Gomez, uh, now that UCSF was one I of the preeminent. Yeah, Scarlett's <laughs> awesome. Um, she's, she's one of the preeminent people working with the cancer registry, the SEER cancer registry. Hmm. And um, basically, the, the, the information that's gathered well, th there are a couple of cross-fertilization activities, shall we say. One, um, I would say the, the geospatial representation of data is very important in making policy decisions. And, for example, you can identify um, at, a, at a neighborhood level um, where the lower screening rates are and so on and so forth, and then really look at the clinics that are offering services there and, and direct and prioritize or help policymakers, whether they're in the clinics or policymakers that might support um, services by having those kinds of data. So that's one example. The other example is I think geospatial data really lends itself because it's, it's visual. It really lends itself to creating stories for a variety of consumers, whether it's the individuals that you're trying to convince uh, that, that this is important all the way up to policymakers that, that you can show them Yes, within your uh, legislative district or you're within your district, your political district, this is what these numbers look like. So um, there's definitely a lot of, lot of applications. And I would say on my side, so I work with a colleague here at University of South Carolina who does a lot of work in colorectal cancer screening and DNI work in FQHCs as well. Her name is Dr. Heather Brandt, and she has um, one of the CDC-funded colorectal cancer screening program grants, and there are many, as you know, across the U.S. One of the things that her and I have talked about is sort of the importance of looking at FQHC screening rates from their UDS data, being able to map that and see whether programs that are being funded through the, um, through the CDC's granting program or states that have um, access to or expanded Medicaid, for example, whether they have better results than FQHCs that are in states that haven't expanded Medicaid or states that don't have resources through that CDC-funded program. So I think there are ways to use mapping in the context of looking at FQHC's data. And I think also from an FQHC point, um, many organizations are now doing community health needs assessments, and GIS can play an interesting role too 
for helping FQHCs determine who's in their catchment area, what are their unique needs, and how they can best address those based on what resources are in those communities and also knowing what resources they don't have in those communities that they might be able to offer expanded services or um, provide new, new types of, um, of relationships and co collaboration with other nonprofits. So I think that there are opportunities to use mapping for community health needs assessments, and some FQHCs are already doing that. So is there a question that you want to ask each other? Um, well, I'm curious to hear about your experience. You know, you, you work directly in FQHCs. I'm mostly a data person on the, the back end of things, but I'm interested in, in starting to do some more of that frontline work and, and primary data collection. And what are some of the challenges you've experienced or how have you gotten over those challenges with making relationships and inroads with the providers and providers and clinical systems themselves? What can I learn from the lessons that you've already experienced? <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm teaching an MPH course on that uh, in starting in three weeks. It's called Community Academic Partnerships for Public Health Research and Practice. Um, so at the top of the list, relationships, any kind of relationship really is about trust. So um, you want to start real early. If you think you're going to want to want to work with a certain institution or organization, develop the relationships, develop the trust, um, and basically listen to them. And the community-based participatory research principles, uh, community academic partnership principles that are out there I think are, are very helpful. Um, the one thing that there's a real disconnect on is how long uh, discovery takes, and you know, it, it, so you, you just basically want to impress upon your partners that you're in it for the long haul. You're not in it to, to yeah. you know, say hi and then come in and and uh, and and you'll have money for this 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 work or that work, and uh, and that's that. But it takes years to uh, get things funded, so. That perspective, you know, having that dialogue and creating that trust and creating that clear understanding is, is very important. And so my question for you is where, uh, particularly in geospatial or epidemiology, um, where, where do you see that work going as it relates to particularly policy or, or informing uh, decision making? Um, how, do you, how do we create better stories with epidemiology? Because you know, if you go to an advocacy workshop, whether it's an ACS advocacy, the ACS Cancer Action Network, or others, um, often um, staffers, you know, of, of elected officials and so on, or government officials, the stats don't get you very far. So are you looking at or have you uh, considered the story side of it? That's a good question. So, you know, every year, um, I actually go to Capitol Hill with my colleagues in the National Rural Health Association and we meet with the staffers and legislators for our state delegation. And you know, we show them maps, we give them statistics, but I, I see what you're saying. It is sometimes hard to break through. Those individual stories seem to be so impactful, um, more so than the statistics. But honestly, I wish those those statistics and maps were um, viewed a little bit differently because when you think about how resources are allocated, it's often quite inappropriately done based on, you know, one person's mm -hmm. priorities and where they want those funds to go, not necessarily where 
the funds are needed. So one of the things I've been proud of, I've seen some excellent um, investigative sort of journalism work coming out of organizations lately, like NPR has run a series of stories um, that are really fascinating, talking about like the financial toxicity of cancer, and they're really trying to um, lend a human element to what I'm showing in maps um, and in statistics about the burden of cancer financially and about the burden of cancer from a quality standpoint. Um, rural patients, you know, have to travel farther. They're already on lower incomes to start with. And those stories, even though I'm sharing that in statistics, I, I'm really glad that we have media who are covering those stories and giving that human element. I think that um, we could do better as academics to learn from that and really incorporate some of that information when we're talking to legislators instead of just presenting the numbers all the time. Yeah, well, that's, that's awesome. Anything else you guys want to add before we end the session? Well, I just want to thank you, Ellie and um, Jesse, for being on this call today. I mean, this is a great time to do this podcast as it's Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And um, I'm so, I was thrilled to hear that the new campaign of 80% in every community, obviously based on my research, that fits yes. really well. And I was delighted to see that that was their new goal and something that I felt like my research could directly contribute to. So it's exciting. And I look forward to seeing how the um, pr products of my grants can really be impactful for helping you assess whether that goal can be met and how it can be met. Yeah. I second that. And uh, also, I'd like to thank uh, both um, all three of you. Um, the, the, the only kind of closing thought I have is that it's so important to think of colorectal cancer screening uh, as a full continuum. That doesn't stop with, with the screening test itself, but we found that the abnormal fit follow-up in particular, that those rates are pretty low, and now we're basically now, we have the cream of the crop that needs that diagnostic colonoscopy, and there's so much that needs to happen there as well, all the way through to treatment, and um, it's you know, those are all very, very important pieces of the puzzle if we're going to have, um, get beyond the 80% in, into um, really reducing the, the thousands that are, um, that are dying. Sounds like your next research study. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> well. <laughs> Got to finish this one first. <laughs> I know. We look forward to um, seeing your research progress and really thank you for uh, participating in the podcast today. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, um, where we talk with current and former American Cancer Society grantees about their work. Um, research is one of the ways that the American Cancer Society is fighting cancer. We're the largest private not-for-profit funder of cancer research in the United States. But we do a lot more than research. We're really attacking cancer from every angle. Um, ACS is a nationwide, community-based voluntary health organization dedicated to eliminating cancer as a major health problem. You can learn a lot more about our research, about our call center, um, and our other programs and services at cancer.org. That's cancer.org. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Theory Lab. And um, everybody listen to me now. I need you to be good. I need you to be friendly and have the best of all days.